Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. The show is a proud media partner for the 11th Annual Media Excellence Awards, which are produced by Access Entertainment in Los Angeles, California. The Media Excellence Awards are recognized as the most influential awards show, honoring innovation and leadership in all things mobile entertainment, lifestyle, and technology. For more information on how to submit to these awards, please visit MediaXAwards.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Carrie Davis. She's a partner at Ide- Your Ideas Are Terrible. Carrie, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You have a really interesting background, and what you're doing now is really interesting and innovative. But maybe before we get into all that stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Okay. Uh, yeah, I am from... A city in a in Georgia called Marietta. It's okay. a suburb of Atlanta. I live in Atlanta now, but that's where I grew up. I went to Georgia Tech. Okay, what did you take and why? I studied industrial design there. Um, Interesting. Why? Yeah, why? I think is is a harder question because at the time I don't know I don't know what it's like these days to be a high school senior, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And Georgia sure. Tech was close and it was cheap and uh, <laughs> done it good. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll be an engineer. I don't really know what that means. But um, somehow found the College of Architecture when I was like a quarter after I started and found the um, the industrial design as a major, which a lot of people I think now still don't even know what that is. It's, you know, it's product design. It's the people who are putting form around the, the gadgets and, and the various things like that in your life that you, you touch and feel. I think maybe Apple has shined a light on it, but that's Yeah, good. that's interesting. <laughs> you know, you know what's funny about this and like I was thinking about it like when we we talked like a while ago about just kind of in a pre-interview before the show is that's one thing that I wish I would have taken in school. Like I it's uh-huh. the whole like industrial kind of package design space has always really really fascinated me and I had the opportunity and I didn't take it and Kind of a long story, but so for me, it was, it's always been this kind of like really cool kind of space, but uh, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I think it's cool. I think you should go back and study it if you want, man. You should maybe, definitely do that. Maybe one day, <laughs> maybe, maybe in the evenings or something. Um, I'll coach you. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I'll send you and you'll be like, no, that's terrible. Go back. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, I mean, that's, yeah, get it? Your ideas are terrible? <laughs> mm, I do. <laughs> okay. No, that's cool. So walk me through, you get out of school, walk me through your kind of career journey up until kind of what you're doing now and, and some career highlights along the way? Because you've done some really innovative stuff and you're still doing that. Uh, yeah, so I when I got out of school, um, I took a job doing packaging design, so structural packaging at okay. a, a supplier. Um, basically, they'll, they're a supplier of big companies like Coca-Cola, for example. So they'll oh, do paper carton and plastics and that kind of thing. Um, and I did that for a few years. 
But then Coca-Cola called, and they were like, we've, we've got an open. I knew some people who worked there. I mean, small right. town, really, Atlanta. And, sure. uh, they were, you know, it was useful because it was within the um, R&D group, which was doing a lot of focusing on packaging, the, the work that I would have been doing, um, and equipment. So I, I moved over to Coca-Cola. And for a few years, in fact, I worked on various structural packaging and equipment projects, um, got a few design patents under my belt, which is not super impressive, but it's no, a patent nonetheless. It's totally so I'll cool. Take it. It's totally cool. <laughs> Utility patents are really, you know, the jam, but uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> it still counts. So, um, yeah. And it's funny because uh, I worked on a lot of, you know, a lot of bottles, really. And I would always, every now and then, you'll see like, You'll see your, the package on the shelf, and that's cool and exciting, like Powerade sure. bottle or oh, you did the power. I, did you actually do the Powerade bottle? Yes, that's so very that cool. Pad, I know it's funny, but then you see it like as litter on the street, and it's not as fun. Like, no, oh, interesting. Gosh, that's so, a bummer. So it's just so there's so many of them. You know, it's a weird thing. Yeah. So how many iterations of that did you do before you guys kind of came to the final design that you know we use every day? Oh, do you remember? Well, you know, I don't remember. I it's kind of the process of like let's do a bunch of sketches. So there's there were probably fifty thumbnail sketches, but right. then to kind of narrow it down. I would say there was probably like ten, and then I think they did some. Um, I can't remember, but typically it would be like let's make some and put them in front of people and see what they think, which oh. would always drive me a little bit crazy because I think the best the best solutions that we ever had were the ones where we either didn't have time to like um you know get a bunch of people to just chime in on something they really don't they know about it because they interact with it but they can't really tell you well i prefer this one over this one because i mean they can make a guess and at that point they're actually making stuff up like well this one's easier to hold i mean none of these bottles are hard to hold you know what i mean so yeah interesting sure yeah that's fair (laughs) Yeah, I like the grip on this one. So anyway, um, but like the the aluminum bottle, um, we worked with an agency at first, and the 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 scope. I mean, the the challenge that we always had was defining the scope tightly enough and the constraints because when you're manufacturing something that's you know going to be millions and millions, um, you you can't really do a whole lot and with a with an infrastructure that already exists. Um, so. A lot of times it would it would it would be interesting because engineering wouldn't reveal all of the, the things that you actually needed to take into account okay. and marketing. That I was sort of always sitting between marketing and engineering, and um, it was you know I, I learned quickly you have to ask those questions, you have to prod, and you have to say you need to tell me the envelope that we're working in, otherwise this is going to be a waste of money. So it started early. I think my my um, desire to help people not waste time and effort and energy and money and all of those things on ideas that are flawed from the start because you haven't done the upfront work to investigate is there is there something or you know what are we actually trying to solve here let alone you know you can't even manufacture that it it won't work so um, that's the type of thing that I got into early on and then uh, I could keep going down the, the path I guess of yeah sure um, yeah, so I get eventually a, a group was officially created at Coke called Global Design, which didn't didn't really exist when I started. There was kind of weird to think. Okay. Um, so they they it, it allowed us to um, have a little bit more 
leeway as far as, you know, creating strategy for um, design initiatives and things that we were getting involved in. And so I, it was, that was always compelling to me, you know, like here, here's why we're actually going to make things look the way they look, because it's very easy for people to react to design in a way that's subjective. So my, my goal was always to help give people tools to evaluate design in a way that would, um, that would be more objective and that we could debate in a rational way. And that's, that's difficult on some level. It's, it is going to be, uh, it's a little bit of a gut, uh, instinct in there, but sure. that was, that was always my goal. So I started to, um, started to do that in the projects I was working on. And then I eventually got into training people in design thinking, which was, um, you know, at the time I think was still, and actually it's still being used. I was a little surprised. I thought it might be one of those things that, you know, it's trendy for a while and the next thing comes along, but design thinking has gotten its hooks in people. So um, yeah, that's I pretty, think pretty We can cool. blame Apple for that in, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> These are all good things. Yeah, no. Um, so yeah, I, I created uh, an initiative or I, I, a program really that we we went around and started to train, run workshops really that that had a cross functional group of people, kind of walking them through a design thinking curriculum and um, some exercises, which was meant then to help them um, remove the waste from the work that they were doing. You know, designing for systems as opposed to one offs and things that just look really good on a white piece of paper sure. how are they actually going to look in market and how can we make sure we can actually manufacture them at scale um and that led me to uh i was at coke for 12 years so wow. it wasn't like a, a quick transition um i spent some time in indonesia too which was really fun i mean coke is um the best thing about working with coke i would say is it's a global company they right. were they're in nearly every country um and it just you know you're able to take advantage of that if you're uh, in a lot of ways so I took an assignment in Indonesia where we actually were trying to launch we did a prototype of the design thinking uh, initiative which you know it's like going into that I had we had a lot of big plans and we're going to do this and that and that but you realize like you know the, the challenges that you face in a market they're just so much different from when you're sitting in the in global headquarters and um, I really wish that there was more of an opportunity for everybody to 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 visit the markets because you just recognize I'm I'm creating stuff that's gonna just it's gonna make it hard for them to implement or I, you know I'm not even considering the fact that they can't even they can't even like you know do the very basic stuff because of the way the market works or because of the way their um, uh, system is is you know their relationship with the bottlers or something so um, that was a big eye opener and it it just sort of helped me. I think hopefully be more of a well-rounded uh, contributor to the business. Yeah, that's interesting because I think yeah you you never know about kind of the the different perspectives, right? Like you try to take your best guess sometimes, but until you're actually there and and kind of on the ground talking to people, there's things that you would never even think of that happen, right? Or or can't happen. <laughs> and I think like genuinely most kind of designers don't want to kind of like um they want to try to include as many people as possible but there's sometimes you just you can't know about it until you're actually there physically kind of experiencing it yourself yeah definitely and and you know i think it's easier to ignore that stuff if you're if you're True. not interested in getting real things in the market but you really want 
a cool portfolio. Yeah, interesting. Way easier. <laughs> yeah, that's so. the thing that I've always struggled with as, as kind of a designer myself. It's like, like, especially kind of like software, for example, I spend a lot of time in the kind of the enterprise software space. And it's like, a lot of the times it's not pretty. It needs to be functional, right? Not saying it needs to be ugly, but it's not an art piece, right? Like yeah. it, it can't be complicated. Like, sure, if I made it complicated, it's a cool portfolio piece. But if nobody uses it, I failed, completely failed, right? right? Yeah, absolutely. Who cares what it looks like? Yeah, and, and I was, yeah, go Keep ahead. going. No, 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 you go. I uh, I remember at one point there was um, – so the group, I mean, even the design firms that I work with there, you know, they were um, some of the greatest design people in the world because yeah. that's, you know, that's who Coke wanted to work with. And sure. I loved it. It was, it was inspiring for me, but there would be moments where, you know, you'd have these debates like, well, I mean, we're, we really just think you should get rid of this entire kind of component uh, without getting too technical, like these little feet that are on the bottom of a Coke bottle. They're there for pressure. Like, that's a product that's under pressure. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's like you can't just leave those off. If you suggest <laughs> leaving those off, you're changing the entire manufacturing yeah. you know, at Coca-Cola, right? Sure. But, you know, it was like, I think we're not fighting hard enough for this. And it's like, you, uh, I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> no, that's interesting. Because <laughs> you're right, right? Like, if, if I was making 30 products, okay, maybe I, I could do it, right? Like, 30 just – but – when you guys are making millions of bottles, like it's a huge issue. Yeah, yeah, you're not gonna you, you, just to make it look a little better. Yeah. You're not gonna change it overnight. Uh, so anyway, that was always kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and a good challenge. I mean, I I believe constraints are the greatest gift. I'm not the only person who feels that way, but sure. I mean, there's something very rewarding about being able to take all the constraints in and feel like you've uncovered everything you possibly could um, in order to create something that actually is, um, you know, functional and is going to look good because there is certainly beauty and utility. Totally. No, I, I yeah. think it's, I think that's great. So you leave Coca-Cola. Walk me through kind of how you started kind of your ideas are terrible. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, before I left, the last role that I had there was a new group that was created because the CEO was getting kind of nervous. I mean, it's, okay. it's still um, it's still something that people talk about. But at the time, Kodak had just filed for bankruptcy and, right. uh, you know, disruption was what everybody was talking about. Even though Clayton Christensen's book had come out a lot earlier, it was suddenly like, ah, it's now becoming real. I'm kind of worried about this. Do we have a team that we can kind of put on that? And uh, that's a, <laughs> a very similar story. Actually, a lot of people who end up taking jobs in this sort of disruptive innovation space, it's just like, we need to we need to go figure that out. Who's going to do that? So sure. you're just sort of sitting there with this giant challenge and you don't really know what to do. So at, um, for three years, we had a team of, there were about three of us. It kind of varied, but we were trying to figure out what does that look like for Coca-Cola? You know, how do you navigate when you're when you're trying to um, work on ideas that are way outside of the core business model, which is what the objective was? Sure. Um, people tend to not understand that and get frustrated with you and kind of throw uh, knives at you, if that makes sense. Yeah, so totally. It was, um, <laughs> it was like always a 
an interesting place to sit. And, you know, we worked on a few different things. It was um, one initiative that was basically trying to build startups inside of the company. And we hired people all around the world in different cities to build startup ideas. So the idea was, you know, Coke has all these incredible assets. Can't we put some people on that that have the experience creating their own startups um, and then build, you know, create something that could be very valuable to the company or become the next thing that Coke is? And I, in hindsight, I, it's very easy for me to say I, w- I would never, ever recommend that path because okay. it's, um, it's very expensive to uh, start your own startup. When the 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 ideas that eventually came out of it yeah. were were companies that already existed in the world. In fact, so it's like how how can you say Coca Cola should create a, um, a a platform for kind of the gig economy when there's a bunch of them that are already out there right. that are doing okay. I mean, they you know they did it anyway and it's fine. And the, these company you know there's a few of these ideas that still exist out there. But I also think, you know, there's for anybody doing this now, I would say consider actually just partnering before you go and try to create everything on your own because it's going to be, it's going to take longer. It's going to be more expensive. Um, just go out and right now you can pilot with one of the, one, with a startup that's actually already doing what could be a good idea, you know? Sure. Um, or, or so we could, did that. Sorry, sorry just for, or what about your thoughts on actually just putting money into some of those companies that you think you could potentially either acquire eventually or um, just be a long-term kind of partner with, right? Like Coke obviously has some, probably some money that they could put into some startups that they think could be beneficial to their business. I'm guessing here, but it sounds probably true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think you have to have a a portfolio approach actually to that, that whole idea. So, you know, Coke makes, beverages as their core business um so they have initiatives around you know how do we how how do they i don't work there anymore how do they um you know start to sense what are the emerging um beverage product categories that are are, you know growing quickly so they have ways that they do look at those types of things and make investments there's a lot of examples like zico and honesty and that kind of thing so they have mechanisms for that um and I think that's very important. That's one thing. Um, the other thing that we uh, now we can get to what I'm doing now tend sure. to look at is how do you actually um, help core business initiatives like, you know, the back of house stuff that's not always sexy or right. how are you evolving how you market to your consumers? How do you use technology in new ways to connect with customers and consumers? Um, those, I think, are ways that you could potentially invest in startups, but I actually think having a revenue relationship with a startup so just being a customer of a startup uh, is is pretty it's a pretty like easy it's not very expensive sure. um it's a way to to try some things out and actually get your employees involved in you know understanding new technology and how they can engage with um startups and new business models to to do what they're already trying to do um in a new way so instead of hiring a a big agency to come up with some ideas and build new solutions perhaps, or even trying to build things internally, which um, I know is still something that a lot of big organizations try to do. Like we've got ideas, we've got people with skills and talent, let's build these things internally. I think it's, it's still uh, cheaper and perhaps you'll get more interesting ideas because you're, you know, you're inside of these organizations and you, you can't 
possibly see everything that's happening in the world. Sometimes it's useful to have that outside perspective um, at who's created something that could be useful for you. So those are models that I think are really interesting. And, in, you know, as far as investment in technology startups, um, I guess the thing I, I think is maybe the, the easiest path is when, you know, it's an R&D group and they're already partnering with universities and things, looking at new technology that's longer term. Uh, um, interesting. You know, I think that's that's probably the what I would say like a very kind of straightforward approach to different the different areas that you would need to look at as a as a big company. And I certainly that's not everything that people do, but you know, just at a very basic level, uh, I think investing. You know, there's a lot of venture funds that big companies do have now, and I think um, the people that I've talked to that run those, a lot of what they're doing is just keeping their eye on things that are interesting. I don't think they ever expect to make a lot of money on them. So like okay. if they're investing in a, in a logistics company that, you know, a startup, I don't, it, it's not necessarily that they're expecting to make billions of dollars off that company. That's super cool if that happens, but it's more about kind of like how you characterized it. You know, we want to be the ones that own that technology. If the, if it becomes something super useful, um, we want to be able to get a, 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 you know, a cheaper price, instead of buying something for billions of dollars later, can we invest early? So I think there are a lot of strategies that can help you do that. Interesting. Okay, so walk me through kind of your transition into um, your ideas are terrible. Yeah, um, so the the last thing that I did at Coke was um, I sort of shifted my focus from those disruptive ideas because there were, those things were kind of running and good or bad um, (laughs) because the, the chief technical officer, I think was his title at the time was like, you know, you guys are, you learned a lot about how startups operate. And I think that's cool. Why don't we try to give some of those skills, lean startup methodologies being kind of the the main thing to the people working on the core business. Like, I think that might be interesting. It could be a culture initiative. So I started to do that, which I found to be uh, really, really fun, but also it was, it was eye-opening, you know, you start to uncover there's there's still challenges with that. You know, you, you give these people new skills and they're they're ready to run, but the business is still ready to kind of hold them back. Interesting. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's what I, I started to do um, the last, I guess, probably the last year that I was there. I went into a startup accelerator to even kind of figure out a way to build an accelerator inside of Coke. Interesting. Um, but the challenge was... Um, the group well, so like the group I was working in and that I think this is I actually was at a conference and I wish I could remember her name a woman presented about those types of roles so people who have um, jobs in the disruptive innovation space or you know they're in an innovation role um, the, the jobs don't last very long because the appetite that the, the company has like you have a few back quarters they're they're pulling things back to the core business because they have to. Uh, it's very sure. difficult to justify, well, we're working on, you know, startup ideas. Ah, well, we're trying to just, you know, run the business over here. And, you know, we had a bad quarter, so we want to take that money and put it somewhere else. Um, Interesting. So my role, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's significant. Like, there's no growth path either for these people. That's what this woman's research had sort of right. recognized. And, and I even knew too, taking that la- that role when I took it, I recognized this is probably going to be the last job I have at Coke because I don't see any other. There, there aren't, there isn't another path forward. There's no, you know, um, 
like a brand manager has a very clear career path as, sure. as an engineer. You know, those are very old and established jobs at these companies. Sure. But, you know, a disruptive innovation, it's just still, I mean, it was always characterized as an experiment. Yeah. So interesting it, it was a good time yeah yeah well and and i guess like well and just just thinking about this as we're talking like like you could hit you could you could say you build an accelerator or or you hire you guys incubate a startup and it makes a billion dollars you're expected to do that again and again <laughs> and again and probably probably you're expected to keep like top the top the last one right and hitting it once, like hitting one time making a company that's worth a billion dollars is almost impossible, right? It's yeah. it's attainable, but like the chances of it happening to anyone, no matter how much money you throw at something, is almost unattainable, right? Yeah. And exactly. never mind doing that kind of year after year or, or quarter after quarter, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like you will fail eventually just because like mm -hmm. you can't be that lucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the expectations of, you know, what we got to get stuff out into the market. Yeah. When are we going to get our, our big ideas yeah. are, you know, it's like, well, you probably have to launch a hundred or a thousand before you get to something that's, that's actually going to totally. sink in. But, and no one, no big company, I would say has the patience for that. I mean, there are plenty of, organizations that are still you know they're they're working their way through this and there's there's some success i would say but sure. um for me it was it was good to to experience that because i i left um and i was still very excited about the idea of going into organizations and doing boot camps and coaching them on lean startup methodologies sure um and that was the formulation. I mean, it was kind of just a continuation of what we were doing at Coke. I had hired someone to help me as a consultant at the time. And then he and I just became partners, which was useful because we really loved it. Like we created curriculum and, um, you know, people come, would come to these sessions and we would do kind of a, it was more like a hundred people. Right. And it's a big sure. event. And, um, we modeled it after startup weekend, which you may be familiar with. I'm not right. sure. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So it's like you go and you learn how to, start a business and build a business in three days. You work with people across the company you never have. You learn, you know, how to ask the right questions and you ask yourself questions because you're, you know, the cognitive errors that you're facing, cognitive bias that, that exists is what's going to kill your ideas. So that's actually why we named our company Your Ideas Are Terrible. Interesting. Um, because having that humility when you when you come up with, you know, just this first germ of an idea yeah. to be able um, to go out and face the things that could kill your idea fastest, that's the most useful you know it's like totally. if you ignore all the things that are gonna get in the way of that idea of being successful you're just gonna waste a lot of time so um that's what we, we try to set that up in the beginning as you know that's the whole objective of what we're doing here you're gonna go face your fears basically and people found that very compelling and kind of liberating because you aren't really allowed to do that in in your day job i mean yeah. you're you're really sitting around trying to justify why this project still exists and you know we were told we had to launch this so you've got to launch it yeah um so i think it was you know people <laughs> good and bad like well people would cry i oh, mean we sure. still have clients that get so emotional and you know it's just it's this this feeling of gosh this is I mean, one guy actually said this is the company i've been waiting for which was i mean it's amazing you know it's like totally yes, that's that's how you want the company to act, but it's 
um, you know, they would go back to their day jobs and kind of get crushed because their manager doesn't understand what they're talking about yeah. or they're not, you know, they're not ready to hear why are we doing this? You know, this is actually, there's no valid reason for the, the consumer doesn't want this. And yeah, it's like, yeah, you're, you're going to hit a wall. Um, and so in fact, a lot of the, the companies that are doing that kind of work are getting to change management because of that very fact. Like, yeah, you train people and give them all these new skills, but the, the business itself isn't operating that way. You got to go a lot deeper and wider across, you know, a lot of different things that are happening. Um, but yeah, that's what we did, and we still do that. But we've transitioned into um, more in the tech collaboration space, which we can also talk about. I can pause there if there's any. Yeah, no, that yeah. that's actually quite fascinating because I I think it I well I think most people kind of either in the design space or, or in the tech space one day would would love to be like run an innovation hub inside of a big company because they're like they have all the time and the resources and money to let me just kind of figure it out. But it, mm-hmm. it's it's quite fascinating that you you were basically in that experience and you know you obviously had some successes with it, but there was also some kind of like downsides of it, which is interesting to me that I never really would have thought of, right? Especially the the one that like it's not really core to their business and the growth opportunities aren't really there, right? So, it's quite mm-hmm. fascinating actually. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Building the Future. This show is heard by more than a million people monthly in over 15 markets worldwide, including Silicon Valley. Kevin Horick's guests are leading business owners, successful entrepreneurs, and merchandisers worldwide. Now, your brand has an opportunity to tap into this dedicated and active group of business people who are looking for places to invest and the right opportunities to support. Find out how you can get involved at buildingthefutureshow.com. Walk me through then kind of you transition to what are you guys kind of doing now and what's your kind of ideal client at uh, your ideals are terrible. Yeah. So um, a, a really interesting thing happened. In fact, right as we had started, your ideas are terrible and we're doing just the kind of the standard lean startup methodology work right. um, was that the, there was a gentleman at Coca-Cola who had created um program called the bridge okay and it was uh, it was it's interesting because you know we were working on building startup ideas and similarly around the same time he was building this thing in tel aviv that was more along the lines of how do we partner with startups as opposed to build them on our own and yeah it was funny because you know it was like we were we were watching each other and we would interact but it was obvious that there were very different philosophies that were that were you know the the basis of each of those ideas so he was um leading an it innovation group and that was you know it made a little more sense perhaps for them to engage with the startup community in in the way that they had had i mean they they went to tel aviv and actually asked the community you know like we want to work with startups what should we do and that's cool. luckily the yeah i thought it was pretty you know it wasn't in those conversations but um it sounds like most people said, we don't need another accelerator. We don't need you to come here and fund an incubator or help new startups get started. We actually need inroads into your company because we want to grow faster, right? We sure. want customers. Makes sense. Um, and that, 
Yeah. And I was like, genius. You don't need all, you know, you don't, it's also a better model. I think we can get into a whole debate about venture capital, but you know, having customers giving you money is actually the most sustainable approach to building your business. So hundred percent agree. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Anyway, right. Hello out there. So um, that's, that's what the program they created was founded on. So, you know, they, they had um, a, a a program where they would have about 10 startups and the whole idea was over the course of, I think it's like six months, they would make connections and they would help them get pilots and help work with their, you know, the business of Coca-Cola to learn how to better work with startups. Cause that's the challenge is actually on both sides. Right. Um, So they decided to launch that in Atlanta around the same time we started our business. So it took about a year to get off the ground in Atlanta. But I think the cool thing that they wanted to do here was, you know, the, the, the climate here is different. We aren't Tel Aviv, certainly. We're not Startup Nation. We're not Silicon Valley. There are not a billion startups floating around. Right. Um, it's an emerging ecosystem. So sure. they, you know, the, the Anthony at Coke was like, I, I think it would be cool if we actually created a community around this with other corporations and that we started to build, um, you know, kind of build this as a capability for the city. Sure. And we got um, six other corp six corporations also involved in the program and you know it's kind of like you share the you share the cost you share the um you share the lessons all the corporations are non-competitive so they're constantly like you know i Ah. i'm having an issue with my legal team can we talk or hey i'm i'm looking at a deal with this startup what are you guys looking at maybe we can do something together um so, and it's kind of one of those things too, what, what we've recognized even over the years. And I recognize that the corporate innovator is um, it's a lonely game. And so the more sure. that you can connect and learn from each other in this space, the better. Um, so yeah, we it, really, the, the bridge community is now what it's called in Atlanta became a client and yeah. just the model of trying to help corporations and startups find each other at a very minimum and then find ways to work together, the mechanisms involved in that, the types of trainings that we provide on each side. Those are the, those are the, what we are most compelled by and what's driving our business forward. There is a lot of, there's a lot of pull for that right now. Um, And we also, you know, like how do you, I, I think it's to me, and again, I could probably can tell from just what I've been saying. I, I think that it's a really efficient way to get, to, to drive your business forward. You know, I think it helps you have more of a heads up approach. You're out looking at what's happening in the world so that you can collaborate and collaboration is so critical. You know, if you continue to make it difficult to engage externally, um, I think you're only going to get more and more behind. And it's actually really healthy for your employees. I mean, people get excited when they know that it's okay to work with a startup. You kind of have to give them permission because you have to also give them the tools. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of people will definitely, I mean, you're definitely not going to get everybody excited about it. Sure. A lot of people could feel it's a threat. But, you know, the people that you want to keep around yeah, are the ones you're going to be excited about it. Um, yeah, that's what we look at. That's what we're really focused on these days. Interesting. That That's actually, like, quite quite fascinating of a role. Like, it's got to feel pretty rewarding when you actually, like, put these connections together and then they actually build or do something pretty cool together. Yeah, it is. And I think you're, 
the, the thing that's funny when, when we are recruiting for the program, we'll talk to startups and we explain. I mean, basically, we don't give the startups any money, but we also don't take any equity. Sure. And the things that we give them are, you know, we, we give them um, a two-day enterprise sales training workshop. We give them oh, a, a full-day um, storytelling workshop with a woman who actually used to train all the brand managers at Coca-Cola for, you know, storytelling. And I think that's, that's cool. the things we've recognized, you know, that, that make it difficult for a startup and a corporation to talk to each other. Number one is language. Um, so we, we, uh, we give them things like that or that we found to just, you know, in general be very useful and valuable that a startup in, you know, in, without being in the program would have to pay for themselves. And it's kind of a hefty price tag for, sure. for an individual startup, right? Sure. You probably wouldn't invest in that. Um, and so then it's also, you know, we, we run, uh, we call them connect days. So each corporation will have um, a subset usually of the startups in, and they basically spend the whole day getting them in front of all kinds of people at their organization. So at a very minimum, even if nothing else, happen. So sure. let's say a, a pilot doesn't get done and nothing moves forward. That itself is the, pretty valuable to be able to have those conversations to get in front of so many of your customers in a very short amount of time. It's actually a way that a couple of startups have been in the program. I've said, you know what, we recognize that our, we, we're wrong about our customer and we're changing or we decided to focus. Like we recognize that our pitch was just way too broad. Um, so they didn't get any pilots, but they actually created a business model, were then able to create a business model that would stick. Um, and so there's always a little bit of suspicion when the startups are talking to us. It's like, I don't, it sounds too good to be true. Like, what's the hitch? You know, they always expect Yeah, to I guess, true. hey, like kind of big, big companies <laughs> kind of sometimes have that a bit of a, a bad stigma around that, right? Like. What are they getting out of this that I'm not told? Yeah, fair. Interesting. Right. So, you know, it's like I I don't have anything to tell you. There's there's not really – for me, there's, you know, the only downside I'd say is, well, it takes a little bit of your time. But I think sure. there's, um, you know, there's definitely positive. So, you know, we, we also don't make anybody move here or sit in a space with us. So it's a very light touch. I mean, we really try to make it as easy as possible because the goal really is let's get you in front of as many customers as possible with the right – tools because the corporations want that too i mean their interest is yeah i need i need to i need to drive innovation across a bunch of different areas of my business so let's make it happen yeah that's actually quite interesting because it's even easier like if you guys connect them um like a startup at inside coke or another big brand and they do a pilot program and it costs one of those big brands, you know, what, tens of thousands of dollars to try something out for three to six months and, and then decide if it's working or not. Like that's such a drop in the bucket, right? Like it's, it's almost insignificant, but if they hire a team of, you know, five, 10, 15 plus people to work on something for three to six months, it's obviously like an astronomical cost, right? Plus office space and computers and whatever, you know, like it gets crazy, yeah. right? So yeah, it, I can see how it's very beneficial for, the companies to even offer all this stuff kind of free because and if even if they have to pay for some of these kind of pilots for a few months it's so inexpensive that could really save them a lot of money in the long run is that kind of how you guys yeah. do it yeah yeah definitely so the i mean the cost of a pilot i mean we coach the startups to um you know try to come in around 
20, 25,000, 30, as much as 50,000. Sure. Um, sure. and it all depends, you know, there's, there's things like what's your, what's your signing level, the person that you're working with, you know, what right. can they actually approve? Um, but yeah, those, those amounts of money are ideally, you know, those are, that's money that that group already had to achieve this objective anyway. And again, it's, oh, since it's core business related, we, um, we do a lot of upfront work with the corporations and each of the corporations has, you know, people that we engage with who are, going and talking to various groups across companies that are talking to strategy, they're right. talking to, you know, business functional leaders and saying, what are the things that you would do if you actually had more time or more people? What are the business challenges that you're trying to solve that you haven't solved yet? So that's what actually informs where we recruit and the spaces that we look in. And we do a lot of work within the interview process even to make sure that we're bringing in startups that they actually have a home for or right. at least think they have, you know, they're at least 80% there. And it's, you know, nothing's ever a definite sure. things happen. But, uh, you know, it's like we're, we're, it's not just one person saying, oh, I think these are really cool ideas. Let's try to bring them into the company. And then they end up hitting a wall because, um, and, and this we've done, we've learned from experience actually, because if you don't spend enough time interacting across the business, you'll run into things like, well, yeah, we really like this idea, but we're actually already working with somebody in that space. Or we just invested in another company that does that. Or um, yeah, we tried it and it didn't work, which isn't a good enough answer in my opinion, but you'll, you'll get that too. So we, we're trying to, you know, minimize that. And I think over the, on our third year now, I think we've gotten better at avoiding some of those kind of awkward, oh, okay, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's good though, right? Because I, I think at the end of the day, you're basically trying to set up kind of both sides for the most amount of success possible. It's not always the case. It won't always happen, but the, I think the bigger thing, though, too, is like if if you and if you didn't do what you did, and you and I just were both kind of like fresh out of school, we're gonna build a startup together, and we wanted to get Coke as our first client because we think we could build something that's really valuable, or we've already kind of built something. Actually, getting in front of somebody at Coke could take an astronomical amount of time, right? Or a big corporation right. like that, right? And then yeah. if one you get in front of one person and they either don't understand or, or don't really know or can't really help you, but, you know, their boss could, but, like, they won't put – like, there's so many hurdles, right, that you guys just get rid of by just kind of doing a program like this, at least from my experience anyway. Yeah, that's what it's meant to do, really. It's meant to make that process of getting in front of the right person who has – the autonomy and the permission to work. Yeah, permission is huge, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think another thing that is useful, you know, you could certainly be a corporation and a lot of companies do this. They'll bring in startups um, and kind of present them and say, you know, here are some startups you can work with. Um, But these, you know, having a program where we have a, a set of startups that have been vetted and have been trained to actually work with you and and hopefully build a more productive relationship it's helpful i mean it's it's helpful to come in under an umbrella of something that there's a strategy around and there's a clear objective for why you get involved in it yeah that's actually quite fascinating so is there any types of startups that you guys kind of look at i i know you deal with a bunch of companies co-concluded but um that are in certain verticals that you guys prefer or is it kind of open-ended? 
it it up it depends on um what the corporations are looking for i mean there's it's generally marketing automation is always something that's okay. useful logistics and supply chain is always useful um I'm trying to think of related to companies we have uh, hiring is one that typically comes up um hiring tech talent the last two years we've had startups who are helping in that space yeah um it, it, i'm just trying to think what else yeah Anything that's related to, you know, building out there or like online platforms and things like that. So how do you automate things like customer feedback and customer support? Um, we okay. see a lot of a lot of desire in that space as well. Interesting. The the tech talent space is, is interesting. They have a huge trouble hiring uh, tech talent because what I'm assuming that a lot of them want to actually work at the startup, not at the big <laughs> company. Is that the problem? <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. Well, the company we have right now is called Filtered, and they help find, uh, they help qualify tech talent. So uh, okay. I I was unaware, but there's you know there's a lot of um, I guess a lot of fraud in yeah. this place if you're if you're in that space. So they have a, a system for that, and yeah, it's more just like, I mean, we do see a lot of corporations are certainly trying to hire. Um, technical talent and it really is a it's a it's a battle i mean they're i think that's a big reason why a lot of them are setting up spaces around um you know places like georgia tech that's why they are talking about innovation programs and you know there's these are the things we're trying to set up because it helps a, a person who you know is looking for a job see them as innovative i mean it's it's clearly like you know there's a, P, a big pr play around that so it is yeah it's a struggle so no, I, I 100% agree. I, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So you've worked in this space for a while now. What advice do you kind of give to startups that are kind of maybe looking to break into some of these, um, you know, big kind of corporations and, and actually maybe get a pilot program, whether they, they go through um, your guys' bridge community or not? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the thing that was has always been pretty obvious to me and having had a title an innovation title at a big company mm -hmm. um it's useful to recognize that that's usually not your customer so innovation people at corporation again it's a weird job i mean you're it's usually not the person who is who is you know dealing with um the a, a p l or core business function in any way they're sort of um, they're trying to connect dots or they're creating capability programs. And if you are searching for just that person and trying to get them to help you find the right person for your business, then it's going to take you a lot longer, especially if they're not a person who's empowered to engage with startups. Um, you just never know. So I think the thing that's the most useful for a startup, if you are a B2B startup, and, and I would hope that you're already doing this, but you know, how do you get in front of um, your how do you figure out the title of the person who actually would buy what it is that you're selling? Interesting. Um, you know, somebody, is it a sports marketing person? I mean, I think that, you know, there's, there's all sorts of weird specific titles that people have inside corporations and you sure. have to do a lot of research to figure out who that is. I mean, I think ideally you're a person who's come from, or you have some domain expertise. Maybe you've worked at a corporation and you understand the space already. Otherwise, I think it would be a challenge to get into um, into a B2B type situation where you're kind of unaware of what the marketplace even looks like. doesn't mean you can't learn, but it means you have to do a lot of work to have as many conversations as possible with that person with that job title across 
a lot of businesses. And that's, I think, something we see um, people, I, I, don't, I don't know if they're, it's just confounding, I think, sometimes if you're not aware of how these big companies are organized sure. and you don't have some insight or somebody to talk to about it, especially if you've never worked at one. Um, so I think that would be my number one advice. It's like you're, even when we have people apply to the bridge community program, yeah. um, one of the questions we ask is, you know, can th- these are the companies that are in the program. Can you think of, you know, a, um, an example or what a pilot might look like for one of them even? So your job is to understand what that company does and how, why they would be interested in your technology and what your business does. But you, you, you people are not very good at that. They're, they're much too involved in this is what I offer and I could definitely help coax marketing group. I just know it. You know, uh, it's not specific. It's just not specific enough, yeah. not compelling, uh, and it doesn't get it doesn't get the interest like someone who goes and very specifically says, "I work with the IT procurement group. I help them source tech talent this way. They're already struggling with it like this, you know." And that's the ideal, and not everybody's right. there, but that's how you get attention. Yeah, that's fair, and I think part of it too is people are busy, right? So if you don't kind of give them like a, a pretty good idea of how you can help and it kind of piques their interest. It's not that they're trying to be mean in the, in the, in the, your example with like, I know I can help marketing. It's like, you know what? You probably can, but like, unless you can give me kind of a tangible thing I could actually take to somebody in marketing to say like, you know what? You should maybe just like set up a quick coffee or a phone call with this person. You, you probably can't do that because like people are busy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they don't, I think a lot of times they don't, they don't want to talk to you because it's so what you're asking is so obtuse or you're you yeah. know, just like, ah, I don't know. I'm just going to, it's very difficult. I think in general for people to, to say no, that they'll string you along, especially if what you're talking about is a little bit vague. Um, Interesting. And, you know, the, the ones that I've seen be the most successful are the startups that have a very clear business model. They're able to very clearly demonstrate like, here's what my product does. I've also taken your company into account. Here's what it looks like when we work together. Here's the things that you measure and the results that you see. I mean, I have seen some really killer B2B sales presentations that, you know, it's like, well, how could they not buy? I mean, I actually was in a meeting. Sure. <laughs> it was uh, Porsche is one of the companies in our cohort. Okay. Um, a guy in there was like, we have to do this now. If, we're, if we don't do this now, we'll be behind. It's like, that's exactly what you want people to <laughs> <laughs> totally interesting no, that's great that was though. amazing <laughs> yeah it's cool when you have those moments right when you're just like in the room when that something like that happens yeah that's my favorite quote <laughs> no that's great that's that's really cool so we're coming to kind of the end of the show but do you maybe want to kind of give a bit of a kind of closing wrap up of if somebody was looking to kind of work with you guys, um, maybe just give them kind of a, a quick overview again of what you do to kind of close off the show. Yeah. Um, again, we're, we're really focused right now on how do you partner with the tech community to, to drive your business forward. And certainly the bridge community is, is a program that helps people do that. And obviously I'm happy to talk to anybody about that. Um, I think there are other models though that we are, we're exploring, you know, how do you, how do you as just one corporation engage with a, a subset of startups, which is absolutely valid? Or how do you um, 
there's new models I think for engaging that are that look like you know hackathons. I think yeah. hackathons it's it's a word that sometimes is a little scary, and it's you know a lot of people maybe think God I don't, I don't know what you get out of a hackathon or how does it even work. Um, we love hackathons because they are really uh, a really cool way if you have a very specific business challenge to actually get a bunch of people in the room who are excited about it who can who can then go and create businesses around their solution because of the way that I think you have to set it up. You know, you're we coach corporations on things like you don't own the IP when you have a hackathon. It's kind of rude. Wow. <laughs> interesting. People. Sure. And Just, it's, um, yeah. Just, just before we continue before. So if people don't know what a hackathon is, do you want me to want to explain it quick? Yes, that's a good point. Um, so a hackathon is typically like a 24 or 48 hour challenge where um, it's always been kind of a developer focused initiative. Right. People who are building apps or software will go in and a lot, you know, I think when they were created, it was just developers wanting to learn from other people and build stuff just totally. for fun. But usually over a um, weekend, right? Yeah, yeah, usually they start on like a Friday night. There's a lot of pizza. People don't <laughs> sleep. Um, it's like a lock-in if you're familiar with that yeah. concept. Um, but they, you know, it's, it's a really fun kind of social thing for them. And I think the, the idea that you can actually, um, as a corporation, present a challenge that's really needy is compelling for people who are, you know, they're maybe they're interested. We, we did one with ThyssenKrupp, the elevator company, who has got a partnership with Microsoft, and they brought in a bunch of HoloLens, and it was Interesting. like, ah, I'm going to go just because I want to get my hands on one of those, right? And <laughs> exactly. They were, yeah, so they had this hackathon. Um, you know, it's a way to raise awareness for your company in the community. Sure. Their goal was to recruit tech talent. Who knew how to program in languages that had to do with HoloLens because that's what they were or, or willing to learn, about. right? Yeah, exactly. Meet people who are doing it. Yeah. Um, we've also done them on like a very specific business challenge where, um, again, if the if the if the hackathon is set up properly, you can have a team that creates something that could be a great technical solution for you. That I, you know, otherwise you would have hired a big company to help you figure out. I yeah, mean, a lot of times you hear companies say, "We couldn't figure this out on our own anyway, so we're just going to try it," and it's it's a lot of fun. Sure. No, that's that's very cool. But uh, we're out of time, so let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about. Uh, the bridge community and uh, your company, your ideas are terrible. Yeah, you bet. So we are on online. Your ideas are terrible.com is the best place to start. There's sure. links to all the different initiatives that we have there. Um, so yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future. <laughs>